All right, well, it's great to be here. And I live in Ladywell, have done for many, many years. And um, we have really enjoyed, uh, we, we're part of St. Peter's in Botley. And there's some lovely links, aren't there, between our two churches um, in this area. And we really believe that God is going to do some new and fresh, and as Andy said earlier, surprising things in this area. Because so many people, like you and other Christians, have been praying. So I, I believe that God is going to do some amazing things. So um, today I've got an unusual topic. Um, oh, there it is. Emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, and Ben kicked that off, you started that series um, this week. I don't know, have you, have you talked about this book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I came across this book several years ago, and it's, it's fantastic. Um, I work, as, a, as Ben said, as a, well, I, I call myself a psychological counsellor, not a, not a political <laughs> counsellor. Um, and when I came across this book, it was a book I'd, I'd been waiting to read for a very long time. And... Um, it's a treasure, and it really opens, opens up um, new aspects of discipleship. Um, so if you'd like to know a little bit more about what I'm talking about, it's chapter five, and that's my topic, um, going back to move forwards. What on earth does that mean? What on earth does that mean? I'm going to probably cut about in half what I was going to say this morning, because um, I had quite a sleepless night, and I can't trust myself to stand up here for too long. Um, but um, we're going to unpack what does it mean to go back to move forwards. And we're going to particularly look at, um, unpack this biblically, um, looking at the story of Joseph. So do you remember the story of Joseph? It's a, an, a, in the book of Genesis, so Anna's going to come up and read it. Um, not the whole story of, of Joseph, um, but just the beginning bit. So, so how will we do with, yeah, you want the mic. This is the beginning of Joseph's story, just a few verses. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a multicolored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Verse 18. When they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit, and that is in the wilderness. Sorry, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about, when Joseph reached his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the multicolored tunic that was on him, 
And they took him and threw him into the pit. And the pit was empty without any water in it. Okay, great. Thanks, Anna. Lovely. Well, there's a lot more to the story of Joseph, isn't there? And I'll be covering that a little bit later. Um, but let's, let's take a look. Um, see, just for something, the strap line for, the, for this particular book that I've just referred to. And um, we talk about going back to move forward. I don't know if you've ever heard of the um, phrase, retreat to advance. Has anyone ever been on a weekend away and they've said, retreat to advance? Sometimes you've got to go take a look back before you can move forward. And it's a bit like when you're driving your car, and most of the time we look through the front windscreen, don't we? Because we want to see where we are right now and where we're going, where, the, where, we're, going, where we're driving ahead of us. But if we only ever looked in the front windscreen, we would miss something actually quite important, wouldn't we? Um, and we certainly wouldn't pass our driving test, would we, if we didn't check our rear view mirror. And I sometimes think about this in, uh, as we come up to a new year, because we're all about, we have this contemporary phrase, we move, we're moving forward. We love to move forward. We want to have a plan and a vision, and that's all great. But we need sometimes to check, look in that rearview mirror, because actually we might miss something vital. And that's really, I've used that as a metaphor for what this is all about. So um, Peter Scazzaro, I'll just tell you a little bit about him. And he says some very big things. Um, and, and the quote, I don't know if you can read it there. But he says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature. Now, that is a big statement, isn't it? And that's one thing he said. I'm going to whiz through this. He also said something, um, you can read it there, facing the truth. He said this about himself. Facing the truth about the emotional part of myself unleashed a revolution in my understanding of God, myself. We've all got a self, haven't we? It's not all bad. A lot, of, a lot of yourself is good, but some of it's a bit can be a bit selfish. It unleashed a revolution in my understanding of God, myself, and my relationships. Now, I think they're pretty big, pretty big statements, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. But why did he say it? He said it because uh, one day, uh, I think it was just before the summer holidays. And he, um, I think the family were about to go on holiday. And his wife um, came to him and said, Peter, you are driven. And your drivenness is impacting our family. And if you don't go away and have a good, long, hard look at yourself, I'm leaving you. Now, that is what I call a high-stakes conversation. It's really, yeah, it's quite a shock, isn't it? Now, Peter Scazzaro was the leader of a very, quite large, flourishing church in the Bronx in New York. And, yeah, he, he was a pastor and he knew his theology. He knew he could dot his I's and he could cross his T's theologically. Um, and he thought that he was, he'd been a Christian for 20 years. He thought 
He was a 20-year-old Christian. But the message from his wife is, you might be able to dot all your I's and cross all your T's in terms of what you believe, but you have got some enormous emotional gaps and relational gaps in your life. And I can't live with you anymore unless you, you're, you're not in the real world. So that's quite dramatic, isn't it? Um, so fortunately, he's an honest guy. And if, you, if you're interested in the story, I'd really in, encourage you to read the book because he went on this whole journey. And he kind of has really unpacked in a, in a very fresh way the fact that sometimes we can have our belief, we know what we believe um, about being a Christian and what it means to be a Christian. Um, but sometimes there is a gap between what we believe and our lifestyle. What we believe and how I live my life. Um, there's just, just, just a bit of a gap. And that British Rail phrase, which is, mind the gap. And that's really what, what this book, I think, is all about. So Peter Scazzaro took a good, hard look at himself, and he went on a journey. And if you're interested, you, you can read about his journey. But how he, he, had, he was forced, in, in a way, by his wife confronting him to have that look at himself. But how about us? And as you think about yourself um, today, and even this week, what's your life been like? And um, sometimes I think life is a bit like sucking a lemon. It, because it, it's kinda, it can feel a bit sour, can't it? Life is full of joy, of course it is. Um, it's, a, it's a mix, isn't it? It's joy and pain. But if we were to really ask ourselves, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time and I haven't, I wouldn't have it any other way. But when I actually think about what's going on in my life, do I feel stuck? You know, for many of us, we are aware that we're very, very anxious. For some of us, we, we can feel really down. And there's, there's, there's no criticism for feeling that. It's part of being human. <laughs> but we need to get, we wouldn't ever talk about that to people we know, or certainly not in church. But this is, this is something that actually can weigh us down. Our relationships, for many of us, we, we can feel quite full of self-doubt. And you've got this negative voice in your mind kind of chip, chip, chipping away at you all week, a bit like um, I whispered in Ben's ear. You're hearing a big no the whole time. Um, and you know that God says yes, but actually you can't climb out of that hole. So lots of things that can, when we look at our lifestyle, we know that there's a gap between what we believe and what we experience. And the human journey will always be a bit like that. It'll never be perfect. But God wants to meet us in that place and to, and to get real. So, I'll, you know, you can, you can think about the present time, time, for a, time for an honest assessment. So... Here's that chapter five. These are some of the questions that Peter Scazzaro asked. He says, is it important to reflect on your history? Now, as a counsellor, I do quite a lot of that, and I believe it, it can be really helpful. And if I had more time, I would tell you about my story um, very, very briefly. Um, every time I went through uh, a change or a transition in my own life or you know, I moved to another country and I lived in another country. 
at one point in my 20s, I, had a, I was engaged to be married, and the guy just disappeared and, and without even talking to me. And I had, I had quite, we used to call them nervous breakdowns in those days. I almost stopped functioning, and I never understood why. Until, when I trained as a counsellor, I suddenly realised that something in the roots of my history, I was separated from my mum and dad for lots of, wasn't their fault, wasn't my fault, but I got separated, and that set up anxiety in my life. And that's been really helpful to me, um, to understand that. But if I hadn't understood a little bit of my family history, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't have made sense. So I'm going to skip through these. Whoops. Skip through these for the sake of time. I think I have to click it two or three times now. Oh, there you go. So let's, let's get straight to the Bible. Straight to the Bible and, and that reading that, that Anna did. Because I think... Well, that's all very well, Jill. You would, think, you would think that, wouldn't you? It's important to look back at your past because that's how you make your living. Is that right? Um, but what does the Bible say? Well, this, these are some scriptures which we could, we could have read these out, but um, this is in the, in the, the Old Testament. And it says, the, did you, um, this is what the Bible says. The positives, and hopefully you've got some positives in your family history, and the negatives of our family, going back three or four generations, profoundly impacts who we are today. Have you read those scriptures before? Where it talks about, it talks about the, the blessings and the curses of a family will, will get passed down. Um, so our families do leave a really powerful imprint on us. And they can be the most influential group of people to whom we will ever belong. And the Bible says that what happens in one generation can often repeat in the past. Whoops. So let's look at um, the original Genesis family. This is what you call, um, it's a family tree, isn't it? Anyone ever mapped out their family tree? It's interesting, isn't it? As many of us have done, um, what's that? Ancestry, thank you. Um, but this is, this is also called a genogram, which is a, just a, a map of a family over several gen generations. And do you recognize many of these names? They're all, all in the Old Testament. And the positives, you start off with Abraham. The positives of what Abraham and Sarah had in their lives got passed down to their children. So you think about obedience and faith, they were great pioneers, weren't they? Um, they passed all of that on to the next generation. So this is not all bad news because the blessings get passed and the legacy, the positive legacy gets passed on. But also, as the Bible calls it, the, curse, the curses, which is um, the negatives get passed on. And we know in this family, um, let's just have a look at some of the... It shows us patterns in our family when we we start to look at it. And these were some of the patterns in Abraham's family. Oh, so, lying, dishonesty, dishonesty and family secrets. We, we, we could see that with Abraham and Sarah, couldn't we? And we can see it with um, Isaac and Rebecca. They didn't always uh, tell, the <laughs> tell the whole truth to each other. 
favoritism. Well, we know the story of Jacob and Esau, don't we? And there was lots of there was favoritism there. Couples were not always close in their marriages, and we can see that between Isaac. Oops, we did we need to go back to that one. Isaac and Rebecca, and we can see that with Abraham and Sarah. And then another pattern, the last one, which is the brothers in a family often ended up falling out. Now, I don't know when you are you thinking about your own family a little bit, and you start to think about what might some of the patterns be. But Isaac, Isaac and uh, Ishmael fell out. We know the very well-known story of Esau and Jacob, and then we've got Joseph, who we're just going to take a look at now. Joseph and his brothers both fell out, okay? So my one thing that makes me think about is that that deep imprint left by our families goes way deeper than perhaps we realize. So we might have Jesus in our hearts, but have we got granddad in our bones? <laughs> and I think that the journey of discipleship, and there's a couple of, if you, you could look up some of these scriptures, which I won't read now, but the whole thing around discipleship isn't just about what's getting you, your creed right, but it's about being able to have some awareness, self-awareness, of what you're carrying, the sort of what you learned from your family, some of the broken and hurtful patterns. Now, I know, you know, for example, in my family, they're a very anxious family. And that carried through to me. <laughs> and so we need to start, and there's nothing wrong with being anxious, but we do need God's help. We need God's help to learn to live God's way in God's family. So there is a journey sometimes of just taking a, quick, a look back. Now, we're going to look at Joseph. How am I doing for time? How long have I had then? Yes, how long have I got? Five, ten minutes. Okay. So we're looking look quickly at Joseph. Now, what do you know about Joseph? We've just read a bit of the story. But I've just kind of I'm like a, any good you have to have three a bit of alliteration, don't you? So I've got three R's. Reflected Joseph reflected on his past, he repaired his past and he realized his potential. Now, part of the story that Anna read to us was only the beginning part of the story. What do we know about Joseph? Well, we know that he was his father's favorite. Favoritism. And we know about his coat of many colors. We know he was a dreamer. We know that God helped him to um, interpret dreams. Um, but we also, when you read between the lines, Joseph was a bit of a brat. He was, um, <laughs> look of surprise, he was really, because he bragged the whole time, and he was completely unaware of how his bragging about how God was using him to interpret dreams actually made him a real pain in the neck. And he, yeah, he, he just irritated people. He had no awareness, awareness of it. So his brothers despised him. So the first trauma that, that Joseph experienced was that he... He was taken into the countryside by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and literally they argued about whether they were going to mur murder him or not. Now, that is horrendous, isn't it? I mean, you might be a brat, but you still don't deserve that, do you? Uh, so he, he was rejected, he was abandoned. We know what happened. They didn't 
kill him, but they waited for some traders to come. They sold him to the traders, and the traders take him to where? Egypt. And in Egypt, now Joseph had a bit of resilience and bounced back. So Joseph was not the kind of guy that just stayed at the bottom of the pile, even though he was in a pit. He bounced back. And in Egypt, he, beca he became quite well known. And he was put in charge. He was a very good slave. And he was put in charge of Potiphar's house. And you know the story, do you know the story with Potiphar? His Potiphar goes away. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce um, Joseph, and Joseph refuses her and runs out of the building. Um, but when Potiphar comes back, his wife frames Joseph, and Joseph, trauma number two, gets put into where does he go? Prison. That's right. So he spends how long down in a pit? He spends probably years in prison, but does, and he's probably really, really down about it. But actually, he starts to interpret everybody's dreams in the prison. Here's his bounce back again. And he becomes, again, well-known for interpreting dreams, so that when the king has all these dreams, um, what does he do? Somebody says, you must get Joseph to uh, interpret your dreams. So Joseph is taken to the king, and oh, there's going to be a famine. That's what your dream means. So the king puts Joseph in charge of famine relief, even though there was no sign of famine. The famine came. Joseph had filled the storehouses with grain. And what happened next? His famine. And the, he fed Egypt. Now, his brothers in a neighboring nation, the famine spread. So what happened? His brothers, who'd nearly murdered him and sold him as a slave, come back to Joseph. And read the end of Genesis. It's a very powerful story. What would you do if your brothers came back? Would you, would you welcome them with open arms? Well, if you read it, Joseph had a real tussle with himself. He had a real tussle with himself. But he did not take revenge on his brothers. Why? Because he'd done the emotional work. What do I mean by that? Well, very quickly. Joseph went back to move forward. He reflected on his life. Now, m most of us don't take much time to reflect on our lives. Well, I'm sorry if you do, but I know I, I haven't. <laughs> I only ever did because I had to, because that was my co chosen career. But Joseph had no choice because he must have spent a lot of time down a pit and quite a lot of that time in prison. So he began, he had to think, he had to reflect, and he probably remembered all the injustice and the hurt and the rejection. Um, and he also probably started to realize what some of his own blind spots were and how, um, how annoying he must have been to his brother. Maybe he started to take some responsibility and see part of the story from his brother's point of view. So he spent some time reflecting. And I just want to say, is this something that we could do a little bit more? Reflect on our lives. Um, and not just what other people have done to us, but also perhaps what our part of that was as well. And then Joseph, um, he reflected, but then he repaired his past. Now, what does that actually mean? 
Well, I've just, sorry, it's a, it's a lot of words for you to read, isn't it? But one of the things we need to do, and this is where the Holy Spirit, who is the wonderful counsellor, can help us, because even as I'm talking now, you might have one or two memories popping into your mind. And that's what the Holy Spirit, you don't need to look at every memory, but sometimes the Holy Spirit, and often you'll have a dream, and, and it, it will be connected. Something from your past is unresolved and unsettled. And as Christians, I believe the Holy Spirit is, is on our case. And he, he will bring these things to us. And so what Joseph did is he chose to stay with some of those painful memories. Now, who likes pain? Anyone like emotional pain? Most of us deflect and avoid and distract and think of something else. But Joseph didn't have that luxury. Joseph got in touch with his feelings and he had the time to let them come up. There's a little phrase that I love, which he says, you have to heal it. Sorry, you have to feel it to heal it. Most of us would rather run away. I'm, I'm speaking personally here. Um, he got in touch with his feelings. He grieved. Well, now when somebody has done something against you, you are right to feel sad. You are right to feel angry. Um, that, that we call that grieving, the grieving emotions. But we don't stay there. And if we will allow ourselves to go on that process, then we will, um, we will come through it. So he grieved well. That means he suffered well. And we don't like suffering. But do you know what? It says in the book of James that when we suffer, we grow. When we suffer, we grow. There is a direct relationship between our suffering and our growth. We'd rather have it some other way, wouldn't we? We'd rather have it that, you know, we get everything right. And that's how we grow. No, that's not how we grow. And it's all over the Bible. So when we grieve and when we suffer, our hearts are enlarged, our characters are formed, and what the wonderful message of... Um, Joseph's story, I think, was that he, he actually said it, didn't it? He uh, said, you, um, you meant it, he said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that is Joseph's redemption story. But I don't think he'd have got there if he went in, into this sort of, through this process, not necessarily in the way I've described. And we've all got redemption stories, but sometimes we get stuck and we need help <laughs> from the Holy Spirit first, but from each other sometimes to be able to process that and to, and to get unstuck. So what happened was because he, he paid attention to some of the pain in his past, he actually built bridges back to his family. And he, grieving is like forgiving. He was able to forgive his brothers. And I read the story, you know what happened. He, he actually helped them and said, I will look after you and your little ones. So Joseph repairs the intergenerational trauma of favoritism um, and cut off between brothers. And he realized his potential. Now, this is the other really exciting thing, that if we, if we will do some of this journey, then... Um, we realize our potential. And what happened with Joseph's personal story actually averted an international crisis. 
I mean, that's mega, isn't it? Little Joseph, thrown into a pit, nearly murdered. He ends up doing this, and he saves thousands of lives. We don't believe that we could have that kind of um, influence, do we? So I've taken a while to, um, to spell that out, but I just want to finish, really, with um, just allowing God to speak to us and... Sometimes our, our potential, we feel, a bit is, is paralyzed. But we do not need to be a prisoner of our past. So in, in response, I just want to encourage us that the Holy Spirit is the one that is our counselor. And if any of what I have said has made sense, just, just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. We can respond, we can reflect, we can repair and we can pray on our own, we can pray with someone we trust. Maybe we can even share in our small groups, who knows. But one thing I'll just say is that in my own walk with God, in my own life, that it's when I have brought my pain to God, the things I'd rather not talk about, they are the times when I've known his presence. And God likes nothing more we feel far away from God or a little bit same old, same old. Bring what hurts. I guarantee God will meet you in it. Thank you for listening. Wonderful. Should we stand? Stand together. So we know that we're not simply changed by information alone, knowledge alone, but it's by God's Spirit that we are changed. So let's just invite God's Spirit afresh now. Let's not rush on for the rest of our day. So I just invite you in your own heart to say, say to the Lord, come, come and fill me with your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. There's some particular groups that um, I feel like we particularly want to pray for today um, of what Jill had shared. Um, and the first group is those who, and Jill was speaking about a painful memory that you've ignored, a family memory. And it's like God inviting you to bring that memory to him so that you can find healing. Just an encouragement. That's just safe space. So if that's you, you've got a, a memory in your mind right now, a painful family memory, can I invite you to come to the front and um, we'd love to pray. The only reason why we say at the front is because it's easier to move around. So I'd like to invite you to come to the front and then also just a sense that maybe some of us can recognize patterns in our behavior that are from our families. Um, so it might be judgmentalism, might be anger, Loss of temper might be anxiety because we're an anxious family. If that's you, then I'd like to invite uh, you to come to the front as well. And then there's just a third group, which is really anyone who wants to experience more of God's intimacy. Maybe you're struggling with that at the moment, knowing God more closely. So if any of those things resonate, or if you just want more of God's spirit to be filled with his power and love, then can I invite you to come to the front now and... Um, 
particularly for you. So I'm just going to wait here for a few moments. Often it takes one to give the rest of us courage to come forward. 